Welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Justin Lay Miller. I am a social psychologist and research fellow at the Kinsey Institute and author of the book, Tell Me What You Want, The Science of Sexual Desire and How It Can Help You Improve Your Sex Life. Until recently, the human penis has rarely appeared in popular film and television. And when it did, it used to be a really big deal. As someone who grew up in the 1990s, I can distinctly remember just a handful of films that even dared to show a penis, and they became these huge cultural sensations, like when Kevin Bacon bared it all in a shower scene in Wild Things, and when Mark Wahlberg whipped out his foot-long prosthetic penis in Boogie Nights. These were memorable moments in film history because we were seeing something we definitely weren't used to seeing. Flash forward a quarter century, however, and the penis is suddenly in full swing, literally, on our screens. The penis has popped up everywhere from sex education, to Pam and Tommy, to American Gods, to Euphoria. In fact, in one episode of Euphoria alone, you can see nearly 30 penises. So what's changed? What's behind the increase in male full frontal scenes? What do these portrayals say about us and our culture? Why is it that most of these penises are prosthetics instead of the real thing? How do filmmakers decide what kind of penises to show, and are they reinforcing unrealistic ideas and expectations? That's what we're going to be talking about today. I am joined by Matthew Mungle, an Academy Award-winning artist specializing in makeup effects and prosthetics. With over 250 film and television projects to his credit, Matthew is regarded as one of Hollywood's top masters of makeup effects illusion. Odds are you've seen some of his amazing work. Matthew's credits include creating prosthetic masks for the hit Broadway show Wicked, as well as makeup effects in popular television shows, including The X-Files, CSI, and Six Feet Under, and films such as Edward Scissorhands, Spider-Man 3, and Hillbilly Elegy. He has truly had an amazing career, and it has included making some prosthetic penises along the way. I am so looking forward to this conversation, and we're going to jump in right after the break. The future of sex tech is here. The Handy, made by Sweet Tech, is an automatic stroker designed for self-pleasure. It's a one-size-fits-all device that can be coupled with your masturbation sleeve of choice. Sweet Tech has a wide variety of sleeves to choose from, designed to mimic realistic sensations of different partnered activities. The Handy offers precise speed and stroke control, which includes the exact stroke length. It can be remote controlled, and you can even sync it up with video to mimic what's happening on screen. So what you see is what you feel. To get your hands on The Handy, find the link in the show notes or visit thehandy.com. That's thehandy.com. Hi, Matthew, and welcome to the Sex and Psychology Podcast. Thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Thank you so much for joining me. It's a thrill to speak with you because you've worked on so many amazing films and television shows. And I was browsing your IMDb profile before our conversation and saw that you actually worked on some of my favorite films from my childhood, including What About Bob, Dirty Rotten Scoundrels, and Dumb and Dumber. So I could ask you a million questions about your work, but we got to talk about penises today. <laughs> Before we get into that, let me just ask one general question about your job, which is what it's like to work in this area. I mean, aside from getting to meet some really cool people, I got to imagine it's probably a pretty amazing creative and artistic outlet, but also a really big challenge in terms of creating realism. So what's it like to work in this area? It's everything that you just said. It was my dream come true as a child, actually being a makeup artist. I had no idea that makeup was used when I was a kid, 
to bring these characters to life in film. And once I did, I latched onto it. Of course, as a kid, I would vary from makeup to music to whatever, you know, in school. But once I got into my junior and senior year in high school, I just, that was my focus was makeup. And this, you have to understand, this was in 1972, 73, 74, 75, before I graduated from high school. So, you know, I don't know. It was in my blood. And being raised on a farm, population 4,000, Otoka, Oklahoma, who knew how I got this bug in me, you know, so to speak. But I just love the creative flow that it lends to me as an artist to create prosthetics and make them believable. It's a huge challenge. And uh, I love detail work. And it's just, you know, even though I moved away from Hollywood and moved to Austin, Texas with my husband, I still have the love for it and still do prosthetics for projects. So, you know, I will never give up makeup, prosthetics, etc. Well, we're glad because you do such amazing work with it. Thanks for sharing that. Let's talk Hollywood penises. Now, as I mentioned at the top of the show, penises have rarely appeared in television and film until recently. And I'm sure a lot of people are wondering why there's been such a sudden and dramatic change in this area. And I think there are a lot of angles through which you could look at this. One is that the first time you show an audience something new, it's shocking and it generates a lot of attention, but people quickly get used to it. It gets normalized and then the bar gets raised for what becomes shocking. And I'm thinking about how in the 1990s, there was this huge controversy over the TV show Chicago Hope because one of the characters was going to say shit for the first time on primetime television. And it, you know, sort of created a media shitstorm because people were like, we're not used to people swearing on TV. And since then, shows have been pushing the envelope further. We've been hearing more swearing on TV. So I'm, I'm curious for your take on this. Do you think the rise of the penis in Hollywood is just kind of Hollywood pushing the boundary further and further like they have in other ways? Or do you think there's more to it than that? You know what? I think it's it, that pushing the boundaries, one. And two, I think, at least I hope, it's us as human beings letting go of our sexuality and not being so hung up about it. I, I never understood that. You know, I, it's just amazing to me. And as far as the rise of the penis, so to speak, I, I think it's more kind of a gimmick, yes, but in another vein... It's more of, well, we can show women nude, so why what, can't we show men nude? So go for it. Yeah, and there has been a double standard in the media where it has been normal in some sense for a long time to show female nudity, but not mm -hmm. male nudity. And it's also interesting when you look at this in historical perspective. I mean, I've taught about this in my college human sexuality courses, where if you look at the ancient Greeks and Romans, depictions of penises were everywhere. And you can see this in those ancient artifacts. But then the penis for centuries kind of 
disappeared from view. And there were lots of attempts to go back and censor art that depicted penises in any way, you know, with sculptures having penises broken off of them or paintings where the penis was painted over. So there's been all this censorship, but now we're kind of in this interesting new era where the penis is kind of coming back out into full view. And I would like to share your optimism that maybe this represents <laughs> something about sex positivity and the way we're changing, but you know, it, it, it does also have that gimmicky aspect that you mentioned it, it does it does you know and, and and to each their own i mean there are so many aspects of sexuality and and to to just show a penis is to me it's just okay there's a penis that's great you know that's the uh, male anatomy good good for you but for some people, it is still shocking, right? So it's, you know, different for everybody. And it certainly varies too across cultures, right? Attitudes toward nudity, all of these things, incredible cross-cultural and historical variability. So I'm curious, when was the first time you were ever asked to make a prosthetic penis for television or film? And have you noticed those requests becoming more frequent in recent years? Uh, the first time we were asked as a, a when, when I had my studio in Los Angeles was um, Harold and Kumar escaped from Guantanamo Bay and they wanted, they wanted a very small penis and lots of pubic hair. And I think he was in the, the jacuzzi or something and, and raised up and you saw his penis, you know, so big deal. I mean, we were doing other, other th uh, makeup effects on the show. So they, you know, production comes back. Oh, by the way, we need a penis for this. Okay. No problem. You know? So after that, it was just left and right here and there spotty. Oh, we need a penis. We need testicles. We need something like this, you know, and and it all started out with me because I love doing prosthetics, one, whether it be human anatomy <laughs> or mainly to change a character or an actor's face. So I would never turn down a job. So no matter how bad it was, it's just that's go ahead, write me the check. You know, it's it's great. You know, it's something to create. So. So I started out doing pregnancies and then breasts for women. And then all at once, here comes the penis. So, <laughs> you know, I was asked to do that and they knew call Matthew. He, he, he'll do it because, you know, he, he does everything, <laughs> you know, he does all the prosthetics. So, and he'll give us a good deal. So, Hey, let's go for it. <laughs> go to Matthew for a good deal on penises. A good so, deal on penises. <laughs> I, I also like that you mentioned that, you know, penises aren't unique in terms of, you know, them being the only genital or other body parts that prostheses are created for. So they've done that for breasts and for pregnancy and, and other sorts of things as well. But there does seem to be a lot more prosthetic penises increasingly that we're seeing. And we're going to talk more about that in just a moment. So in thinking back to kind of some of the earlier portrayals of penises in the popular media, my understanding is that many of them were the real thing. But increasingly, whenever penises are depicted these days, they're often prosthetics. So we're seeing more penises, but not necessarily the actor's actual penises. So I want to ask you why that is. Is it that men don't want to 
show their penis and they don't want other people to know what it really looks like or is it producers wanting penises that fit the character in some way or is it a bit of both i think it's a a bit of both obviously and and there's a lot of aspects of those both that comes into the the situation and one of the reasons is that an actor has to act on on camera an actor an actress whatever if you take the variable of them not showing their real penis or their real breast, et cetera, et cetera, out of the equation, then that means that that actor can focus on his job, which is acting, you know. And there are times that the actor says, no, nah, I don't want to wear that prosthetic. I'll just show my own. Well, they they must be very proud of what they have, I guess, what you need to say, and not willing not to show it, you know. But I, I think the majority of the time, it's about size, one, and two, letting the actor do his job and not worrying about showing his own penis. That's an interesting angle, and it wasn't something that I had thought of about how if you can take that you know, a sense of anxiety out of the equation where, you know, people are going to see this, they might judge it, there are going to be mm -hmm. screenshots and grabs on Twitter and everywhere. You know, if you can take that anxiety out of the equation, it can let them focus more, it can free them up. And so that that does make sense in terms of an angle for, for why this might be a common thing. Mm -hmm. But I think also the fact that a lot of actors don't want to show their penises speaks to the fact that there's just this enormous cultural value that we place on the penis and there's so much anxiety about it and our reluctance to show our body parts <laughs> publicly is just one representation of that. So yeah, it's just so much body well, anxiety. Exactly. And and I'll probably misquote it, but taking a quote from Monty Python, is it too big? Is it too small? Will the girls like this? Will the girls like that? So you never know where the actor is coming from or the production until you get that call and we, we need a penis. I never ask, why doesn't the actor want to show his own penis? I'll just go straight into the business of, okay, we can do that. I've got stock penises or we could, we could start from scratch. So just uh, tell me what you need. And I suspect part of it, too, might be that some actors might look at sort of the history of what's happened. Like, for example, Kevin Bacon, when he did his nude scene in Wild Things, so much press and media attention and people today are still talking about it. Right. And so I think it could also be that some people don't want to be defined by their penises or genitals or want that to overshadow the rest of their career, no matter what it is that they have. And I think that's also the other concern is that no matter whether it's big or smaller or, uh, you know, presence or absence of pubic hair or size of the testicles, someone somewhere is going to judge it and criticize it. And I think there's a lot of that sort of fear and concern that probably plays into it as well. Uh, of course there is. And you have to understand those people judging may have the smallest penis ever. So <laughs> it's all about you know, oh, I'm going to judge this person, but they don't have to see my penis, so I can just judge them. You know, it's all judgmental. I, I don't know. It, it makes me mad sometimes.
<laughs> and you're absolutely right that sometimes the people who are the most vocal and the most judgmental are the most mm -hmm. insecure and are actually experiencing, uh, you know, more discomfort with themselves. I mean, this reminds me of some studies I've seen where they've showed heterosexual men, gay pornography, and measured their genital arousal. And you actually find that the most homophobic men are showing more genital arousal to gay porn, which suggests that maybe they're protesting a little bit too much. No, absolutely. It's, you know, it goes to the phrase, oh, buy, drive a big car, do you? Oh, I thought so. You know, it's all <laughs> about bigger and bigger and, and making up for something, I guess. I, I don't know. Just, it's not right. <laughs> yeah. So tell us what the process of making a prosthetic penis is like. What are the factors that you take into consideration and where do you get your inspiration from? I mean, we know that penises can have this incredible diversity and variability and natural appearance. So how do you make that decision and do you model them after real life people? Well, to start off, I'll get a, a call from a producer or director saying, uh, we need a penis for this show. And I'll go, okay, great. Do you know what size? And they'll go, most of the time, no, not really. And I'll go, well, let me send you pictures of the penises I have in stock. And we could at least start the discussion there. So I'll do that. And I've got maybe about eight penises, various size in stock that I can send them pictures of. And they're all from stock molds because I never asked for the penis back from a production, which is, you know, it's a hygienic thing, I guess. So uh, I'll send them pictures and uh, we'll start the discussion. Okay, did you like any of those? Well, sometimes they go, yes, this one. And it's also cheaper for them to get it from a stock mold and for me to make it from a stock mold than to start from scratch. Now, if they did want to start from scratch, I, I request that, well, here's the request. Go on the internet, look at penises. I want you to find one that you like and we'll sculpt that, you know, and we'll go from there. So they do and they come back and, and say, this is the one we want, you know, confidentially. And uh, I'll start to sculpt it if it's one from custom made. And I'll send the pictures after the, uh, I've sculpted it out of uh, oil-based clay. And once that's approved, I put all the details in it, the wrinkles, et cetera, et cetera. And I used to have a crew of artists that would do this besides penises, other prosthetics, whatever we needed to sculpt. But now since I'm on my own, I will do it on my own, put all of this, the, the texture, the wrinkles into the penis, et cetera, the bumps on the, the, the scrotum, et cetera, and then mold it in platinum silicone. And uh, it's rather a large mold that I have to make of the penis. Once that's done, I clean out all of the clay I take silicone, which I can vary to make it harder or softer, depending on what's needed. And I can color it because it starts out as a translucent color. And I'll pour that into the mold. Sometimes I'll pour a harder material first into the mold. Harder meaning it's still soft. 
but just slush it into the mold, pour it out. Sometimes I'll let it set in the head of the penis to give it a little weight there and then slush that out and then slush a softer version of that silicone into. And depending on what I need, I'll slush it two or three times into the mold, keep it hollow on the inside of the penis and hollow on the back side of the testicles. And once that's done, I pull it out of the mold. I have the penis I sculpted in silicone. I'll take that and I'll airbrush all the veins on, all the coloration needed. And uh, of course, if it's, if it's cut or uncut, depending on what they need. And once that's done, I glue a lace piece, which is very fine lace with hair ventilated into it on the top pubic area. And that's glued half onto the silicone and half of it's left virgin. So that area is used to actually attach the penis to the actor. And then underneath the penis, around the testicle area, I'll glue material fabric, which is stretching fabric, very thin, maybe two inch wide piece, very long underneath the testicles. And that will go underneath the area and go in between the buttocks and glue at the top of the buttocks. And that keeps the penis secured and keeps it from flapping around too much. And that's how it's glued on. Wow. So it sounds like an art and a science in terms of how you do this. It's from beginning to end. I always trying to figure out the best way of doing an effect or making things better every time I do it, you know, making it look more realistic. How can I make it? Do I have to make it softer? Do I have to make it harder? Is it going to flop easier this way or this way, et cetera, et cetera? The floppiness factor is such an important consideration. <laughs> yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, it's it's fascinating. And so basically, these are wearable prosthetics. So the actor's own penis will go inside this prosthetic that you're creating, and they'll wear it that way? Yeah, it, it depends on the size of it. Most of the time, their penis goes into it and fills the inside of the penis, which is good because you don't want it flopping around in that area. And it's more secure for them if, if they do that, they can put a little baby powder in there and makes it easier for them to um, put it on. So to speak. <laughs> It's fascinating, this whole process. And I'm sure <laughs> that someday there is going to be a museum of penile prosthetics <laughs> that, that you and others have created. And <laughs> you know, there, there's a museum for everything else in Hollywood. So I, I wouldn't be surprised. I, yes. That's right. I think in there is a penis museum in Switzerland, someplace around the it's, world. There it's is. in Iceland. I'm I'm actually Iceland, going there yes. this summer. I will report back on it. I don't think they have any <laughs> prosthetic penises, but they do have penises from around the world, different animal species. They even have penis bones mm -hmm. because you I've know, heard some of people. That. Some people don't realize that in some animal species there is an actual bone, like it's literally a boner. I will have much to report back on this summer. I'm sure you will. <laughs> now, we have much more to discuss, including whether prosthetic penises are feeding unrealistic expectations of penis size, as well as the future of sex on television. But first, a quick break for a word from our sponsors. Our friends at Promescent have everything you need for amazing sex, including their signature delay spray, which has been clinically shown to help men last longer in bed. 
Check it out and see why it has thousands of five-star reviews and why more than 2,000 medical professionals recommend it. Promescent offers a 60-day money-back guarantee on all orders, free shipping on orders over $10, and discreet packaging to guarantee privacy. Learn more and place your order at permescent.com. That's P-R-O-M-E-S-C-E-N-T dot com. Now, Matthew, you've been asked to make several penises for film and television, including both smaller ones, like the one you did for the Harold and Kumar movie, as well as a large one for Simon Rex in Red Rocket, and a gigantic one for Chris Hemworth in Vacation. Now, from what I've seen, the prosthetic penises tend to lean a little more toward the larger side than the smaller side, which I think raises the question of whether these prosthetics might be feeding into unrealistic expectations about penis size in much the same way that pornography does. So I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on that? Well, yes, it's all about size, I think, you know, and sometimes the male species likes to talk a bigger game than it really is. And it makes them feel better about themselves, I guess, to talk about their the size of their penis. So I believe course we're not going to make a small penis unless the project actually calls for it but i think it's all about the size and there is this big size obsession and i think it's worth noting you know what is the average penis size actually and you know unfortunately this is one of those areas where it's kind of hard to get a true accurate answer to it because there's all this anxiety around penis size in the first place. So if you want to do a study of penis size, you might get a selection effect for who's going to volunteer. And it's probably going to be people who might be a little bit more comfortable or confident in their penis size already, which might inflate the estimates. And so, Mm -hmm. you know, the best numbers that we have suggest that the average penis size in terms of erect length is a little over five inches, but there's quite a bit of variability. And, you know, when you look at that as sort of the baseline, a lot of what you see in pornography and what you see depicted in the media is going to be a a more extreme representation of, of what a penis could look like. So just sort of as a basis or reference point, you know, in terms of the context of this conversation, I think it's worth noting what we know about average penis size, but we still have to take it with the caveat that there's a lot we don't know, and we may never know the answer. And it also, you know, measuring penis size is a trickier thing than you might think it is, right? Because <laughs> where where do you measure it from? You know, is it from the top or the bottom? You know, you're going to get different numbers depending on how you do it and whether you have somebody measure it themselves or you have a trained clinician who does it. So it's just, it's kind of a messy research area. I'll yeah, say. It's, and obviously you don't want to get a shorter measurement than you should, you know, God forbid. Well, and this is the thing, like guys tend to measure from the most generous angle possible, you know, maybe (laughs) press the ruler into their skin a little bit more so that, you know, there's just all kinds of ways that you can exaggerate size to some degree. There you go. Now, this idea that a television or film actor should have a penis that fits the character, I mean, it suggests to me that a penis is more than just a penis in terms of the way they're thinking about it, you know, that sort of defines them and says something about them as a person. So, you know, this is related to the previous question, but, you know, what do you think about that? Is the penis really the measure of a man? You know, how much does it really say about you as a person? I don't think so at all. I mean, it's just another part of the anatomy, you know, 
what what is the saying it's not the size that matters it's what you do with it you know mm -hmm. and how intimate you are of course and uh there's more things than the penis size that matters but we just uh, for some reason we just can't get over that you know yeah. it, it's all about size yeah and it's unfortunate and you know it ties in with things i've said on this podcast before which is that you can have a really large penis and be a terrible lover and you can have a smaller penis and be a great lover you know it really is about the way that you sexually connect with others and not about the size and when we're talking about heterosexual people specifically if you look at studies of what women think about penis size heterosexual women specifically when you ask them to choose like what is the optimal penis size they actually choose something that is pretty close to the actual average you know it's around mm -hmm. five to six inches or so and if you also ask them whether penis size matters in terms of their pleasure most women will say no it doesn't matter to, to much extent. And in fact, larger penises can actually be uncomfortable and they don't necessarily increase the odds of orgasm. Certainly there's wide individual variability in people's preferences in both the gay and heterosexual and bisexual communities. You know, there's always that variability, but I think we just think that penis size matters a lot more than it does when it comes to actual sexual pleasure. Absolutely. It's the enthusiasm that counts. Yes. <laughs> it's the size of your enthusiasm that matters, not the size this of your This is so true. <laughs> now, my understanding is that many film and television productions today that depict nudity and sex have what we call intimacy coordinators, somebody who is there to kind of watch out for the well-being of the performers and, you know, maybe they do a little bit of coaching. And I'm curious in your line of work, do you ever work with the intimacy coordinators? Because I'm guessing they might be involved in something as intimate as, say, attaching a prosthetic penis to an actor's body. So far in my career, I've never worked with one, but when those kind of scenes come up, the crew is extremely respectful with the actors. Usually during the, the scene, the only people that are in the stage or doing the scene would be the actors, the director, the DP, maybe a lighting director, and that's it. And the monitor outside, there's nobody around the monitor, et cetera, et cetera. I've never seen a disrespectful crew when we're working on a love scene, an intimate scene, et cetera, et cetera. They're very, very respectful. Plus, it gives them a chance to walk away and get something to eat. So, <laughs> so as far as that's concerned, we make our own boundaries as a crew on the set when that comes around. And have you ever been on set when there are these nude scenes and sex scenes? And I'm, I'm just sort of curious as to what that experience is like, because there has to be this incredible moment of vulnerability where, you know, people might be naked or simulating sex and you've got other people who are filming and watching. And so I just think people might be curious to know what that experience is like. I'm glad to hear that like all of these precautions are taken to keep it safe and respectful, mm -hmm. but it also just, I'm, I'm sure has to be an interesting experience. Well, on a movie set, we're all professionals. We're all professionals and we, we have our jobs to do on the set. So each person knows that if they get out of line, they could be fired immediately. You know, you're replaceable. 
So you're below the line, all except you know all these directors and everything else. Everybody else is below the line. You could be fired, and somebody else comes in. So you have you watch you watch your step, what you're doing, and just be respectful of what you're seeing, you know, or having to do. You know, most of the time we'll go, okay, we're going to get this set up. We're going to leave. We're going to go outside the the sound stage, and if you need us. There'll be an AD or PA out there. They'll call us in. They need you to come in. We'll go in, do whatever we need to do, touch-ups, and then leave. So we're very respectful of that. As far as the actors are concerned, they're very respectful of other actors. Do you have any mouth spray that I can have because I'm going to be kissing, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Overall, they're very respectful of the other person, you know, Mm -hmm. especially nowadays, I think, it's so important to be respectful of the other person. Yeah. And I'm sure that, you know, some people, when they think about, oh, what would it be like to be filming a Hollywood sex scene, probably think about it in the same way of like what it would be like to be on a porn set. And they think of it as like this hyper-sexually charged environment where everybody who's participating in it is turned on. And it's like, you know, I've talked to a lot of people who have been on porn sets, who work on porn sets, and it's just a job. It is not a sexual experience for them. And, And they're doing the same things that you're talking about, where it's being respectful and making sure that the performers and everybody there has what they need. Yeah. And overall, it's boring. It's like <laughs> watching paint dry on the wall. You know, you you sit there and uh, make up, you know, I need you to touch up or whatever. We go in, we touch up and then we leave and we sit there and read our book or whatever we knew, you know, and just keep an ear out for whatever we need to do. And, you know, everybody thinks it's glamorous and it's really not. It's so the the least part of glamour, you know, you see the outside, everybody else sees the outside of it, the inside, the inner working, it's extremely boring sometimes. Yeah. And the hours and days that can go into just doing one scene and, and then the audience sees the final edited version that might be a few seconds or a few minutes. They don't realize everything that went into that. And so it's a, it's a totally different experience for the people on the production side, as opposed oh, to yeah. the viewer at home who's watching. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's all, you know, it's all discussed ahead of time, what you're going to do. It's all planned out. There may be a surprise here or there, but it's all planned out. Every movement that is done on the set because time is money and they know what they need, what shots they need, what camera angles they need to edit it together. So it's very planned out. You know, if it's not, that production is just so wasteful. (laughs) And the crew, a professional crew is going, okay, come on, time's money, you know, here. So let me ask, what's your favorite penile prosthetic that you've made over the course of your career? Okay, so the favorite one, there was one time I had to go on the set. Uh, most of the time, I just send the penises to the set, and the makeup artist applies them, et cetera, et cetera. But the one time that we were uh, shooting Little Britain USA was with Matt and David they had brought Little Britain over to United States, and and it didn't quite work with the way we were shooting. But there was a scene with naked bodybuilders, and they had to have extremely small penises, bodies 
you know, like a Adonis, but really, really small penises. There's one scene that Matt was talking about, you know, what sex he had the night before, you know, I really gave it to her for 30 seconds, you know, and David looks down and goes, Hey dude, dude. So you see before when it's flaccid and after when it's erect. So I had put, I had worked a little armature into the penis that you have to go in and lift it up. Well, they call Matthew, come on, it's, it's penis time. So I come I go in and I get down on my knees. I pull the penis up erect. Is that what you need? Is that what you need? Okay, great. Let's shoot it. Walk away. So <laughs> I think that's my favorite part. It was the best. And we have outtakes and I still have that me rushing in going, okay, penis, very serious, you know, very serious. This is serious business. It's penis time. Yes. Penis time. So the other one was, of course, sending the, the, the penis for Chris Hemsworth and, and then seeing that scene afterwards. It was hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And I heard that he kept his prosthetic penis afterwards. <laughs> yes. And he's got both hammers on his mantelpiece, the Thor hammer and that penis. <laughs> <laughs> now, I know we're running short on time, but I have one more question for you, which is, you know, what do you think the future is for penises and also sex more broadly in the world of television and film? And, you know, for example, the vast majority of penises you're going to see in the media these days are flaccid. You know, the, you did talk about the one example where it had to become erect, mm -hmm. but that mm -hmm. is, is rare to see. So will things get more explicit over time? And will nudity for all bodies become normalized to the point where it's not newsworthy to talk about anymore. So what are your thoughts on that? Where do you see the future of sex and nudity going in Hollywood? Well, from your mouth to God's ear, I, I, I swear, I just hope it just relaxes and it's just a sub-thought in our minds because, you know, we're all hung up with body image. I mean, the world is hung up with body image. And who knows what the, the entertainment industry is going to grab on to next. You know, I heard they had a talking penis on, uh, on that one show. So who, who knows where they're going to go from there, but the sky's the limit, so to speak. Let's just say that. Yeah. And I, I did hear about the talking penis on Pam and Tommy. You know, that is certainly a first. I will be curious to see if there are more talking penises <laughs> in the future. But, you know, I, I guess something I would like to see going forward is just more diversity and variability in penises because, you know, they are not just one thing, you know, and people can have any size and shape and they're all normal and there's nothing wrong with them. And it would be nice if we just got to a point finally where we could just be like, yep, that's a penis, not a big deal. That's right. One goes to the left, one goes to the right, one's in straight, one's up, down, whatever, you know, come on. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. And it's also true with, you know, testicular appearance. It's usually the case that one testicle hangs lower than the other. It's actually usually the left one, yeah. right? Yeah. And so there's some natural asymmetry. And, you know, it's the same with vulvas. You know, if you talk about female mm -hmm. bodies, like mm -hmm. there's vast diversity in appearance and normal means this very wide range of things. So I would just 
like to see us all have more acceptance, recognition of the fact that genitals don't look just one way and you're normal and fine just the way that you are. That's right. Let's just go there. Yes. Well, thank you so much for this fun conversation, Matthew. It was really a pleasure to have you here. Can you tell my listeners where they can go to learn more about you and your work? My website is www.wmcreationsinc.com. You can see all my work there. And uh, if you need to get in touch with me, my email is on there. I don't do personal penises, though, just to add that. Well, there are plenty of uh, companies out there that are probably willing to do that for you. If if that's something you're curious about. So thank you again so much for your time. I really appreciate having you here. And I'd love to have you back sometime to dive into some of the other fun things that you've done in your amazing career, because you've just like, like I've said, you've seen and done it all. So it's, it's fascinating. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Thank you for your time, and thank you to my listeners. To keep up with new episodes of this podcast, visit my website, Sex and Psychology, at sexandpsychology.com, or subscribe on your favorite platform, where I hope you'll take a moment to rate and review the show. You can also follow me on social media for daily sex research updates. I'm on Twitter at Justin Laymiller and Instagram at Justin J. Laymiller. Also, be sure to check out my book, Tell Me What You Want. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.